Hey there. Hello. So I'm going to read you this description. All right. It's a it's a menu item on this bougie restaurant we ordered from <laughs> last night. Ooh. Okay, great. All right, this is for the Mediterranean Bowl. And I'm just going to show you the length of this description just to get you a feel. I'm not going to read the whole thing because fuck that. That looks like a nutritional facts, like list of ingredients or something. It's a whole fucking paragraph. All right, here we go. We like to imagine this bowl as one a hungry Greek farmer might eat after tending to the olive groves. Oh, wow. Okay. It starts with our hearty and satisfying cauliflower rice. No one has ever said cauliflower rice is hearty and satisfying. No. Pretty sure that's not what the <laughs> Greek, what is it? Uh, the Greek farmer. farmer is going to be. Yeah, he would just have fucking rice. Yeah. Uh, which we top with our crisp and juicy diced cucumber and sliced red onion along with tangy Kalamata olives. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, the steak is one ingredient of which we're particularly proud. We tasted over oh. 20 different grass-fed and grass-finished steaks. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's where you feed the... Just the, at the I end? I think that's where you feed it. Yeah. Like, before you're going <gasps> to harvest it, oh. you switch it over to grass, and then... So, like, the rest of its life, it's eating whatever the hell it wants? Well, corn. Corn, though, yeah. Or, Weird. Yeah. They talk some more about their fucking steak and how they have high standards of flavor, animal well, animal welfare... And environmental sustainability. We think it would be Greek farmer approved, too. <laughs> Damn. That's like how how Chuck Schumer apparently imagines... He has the imaginary family oh, yeah. that he like thinks about. What would they think about my policy? It's this, so weird. This place thinks about their imaginary Greek farmer. Like, every item on the menu had, like, three unnecessary sentences before they started, to, like, just telling me what was in the fucking bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. But at least when ordering, it's pretty easy not to read all that, right? Or is it, like, the only way to tell what's in it? I guess I could have skipped to, like, the ingredient section below it. But, like, I don't know. I automatically just started reading it. It was frustrating. <laughs> and it was only so-so. Damn. I would be fine with it kind of if it knocked it out of the park you know well it was also food delivery so like i think it got a little cold but it's fine all right <laughs> now that we're done being bougie let's talk about something that's the opposite <laughs> well, my life is hard i have to order takeout and some <laughs> things don't sometimes i have to read a paragraph oh no yeah let's get into it so i think you have a presentation for us today i do yeah, right i've been doing lots of presentations i feel like i deserve a good grade in this class yeah, it's because you're becoming, like, basically just a co-teacher. I mean, we just... <laughs> now, instead of me teaching you necessarily, it's we... We're teaching, teaching the people. The listeners, Ooh, yeah. Okay. I feel like, like, once we were out of the gate for maybe the first 20 episodes or so... Mm-hmm. There was a lot of just stuff I didn't know. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so today, I'm going to be talking about Angela Davis. Awesome. Yeah. The well-known, very famous... I don't know. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> have heard of her. But might not know, like, okay, what specifically did she do? I was definitely in that boat before, I mean, this past week. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what do you know about her? Uh, I know she was in the, or associated with the Black Panthers, mm -hmm. uh, and is like a scholar, an activist, yep. professor, and got fired for being a communist at some point, and was accused of being, like, supporting violence and stuff like that. Uh, there was something about like guns that she owned. Wow. You knew way more than I did. I just was like, 
I don't know. I know she's like an abolitionist, but like I haven't read anything by her. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about like her work specifically focusing on prison abolition. So that was kind of cool to come across this week. Um, yeah, but you got the the basic broad strokes right. So let's jump awesome. into it. Cool. <laughs> All right, so she was born in 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, this shaped her quite a bit. She grew up in what was known as the neighborhood of Dynamite Hill uh, because there were so many bombings targeting black people. Oh, fuck. It sounded kind of cool. Yeah, like in a party way. Dynamite, yeah. (laughs) No, it was not cool. This is is where it's happening. Everything's going off here, but literally everything was going off. Yeah, bombs were going off. Okay. Yeah, so not great. Her father was a service station owner, and her mother was an elementary school teacher. But kind of more importantly to our tale was a member of the NAACP mm. and the Southern Negro Youth Congress. Okay. So this second organization I looked up, mm-hmm. apparently they were an anti-fascist group. Hell yeah. And they were made up of people from the National Negro Congress. So this was like kind of a subgroup. Okay, yeah. Just focused on building up communities in the South. They led boycotts, they registered people to vote, um, you know, black people in particular. Mm -hmm. They lobbied in D.C., organized unions, and uh, assisted people with legal cases. Awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool mom. Yeah, that was her mom involved in that. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really liked that they did uh, that was interesting, they did a study on, like, the prices of, like, different basic goods and, like, groceries from different communities. Mm Mm-hmm. And they found that the price in black communities was like 20 to 30% higher. Whoa. So like, not only are these people definitely making less money, they're spending more money right. on basic yeah. goods. So like pretty fucked up. So they're getting ripped off for the same things. Yes. And I mean, now you're, t- you talk about the concept of like food deserts and things. That's, you know, kind of one of the big problems facing communities of color in the United States. In in that time, even if you did have access to, you know, you could get to the grocery store, it was just going to be more expensive, too. More expensive. Yeah. I mean, even here, like, Trader Joe's is super, like, pretty reasonably priced. Like, it markets itself as very bougie and, like, basically for white people. Mm-hmm. And all their locations are in super white neighborhoods. And I'm like, why don't you build one, like, on the south side of Dallas? And it's like, that's because it's not their brand. And it's, like, super fucking racist. Yeah. Yeah. That's... That's fair. I mean, I'm sure like Walmart is cheaper though, right? I don't know. It's actually maybe a Kroger or something is cheaper or something like that. Yeah. We like I don't Kroger. Know. Trader Joe's is fairly cheap. I got to say. Okay. Depends what you buy. Yeah. All right. We got to, we got to start doing some pro shit because we're bouging it up here at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, we of sound our like episode. assholes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back to Angela Davis. She was an active Girl Scout. Uh, she actually okay. marched and picketed to protest segregation as a Girl Scout. I didn't know that was a thing they did. So that's kind of cool. That's a cool Girl Scout troop. Yeah, right? Um, when she was a teenager, she moved to New York City with her mom to attend Elizabeth Irwin High School, uh, which, fun fact, many of its teachers were blacklisted during the McCarthy era, so it had like a reputa- reputation. Damn, this is like a... Like Mao's high school or university where (laughs) everybody was an anarchist or a communist. The bad boys of education. (laughs) Cool. Okay. So, but that was a high school up in New York. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was actually through this program that like the Quakers set up where mm. they were like trying to send like black kids to mostly white schools. So wait, it was run by Quakers? Yeah, the program was like run by Quakers. It was called like Friends of America, yeah. something, something. Quakers <laughs> were like one of the original anti-slavery, like abolitionist uh, groups in America before we had the United States at all. Quakers were yeah working toward were, were abolitionists back before they were really like you know organized abolitionists outside of them really she went to Brandeis University might be Brandeis I've always said you know? Brandeis uh it's okay. named after a <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Louis oh. Brandeis I want to say was he cool I mean probably not but he was okay I mean he was a liberal uh in the American New Deal tradition mm, okay could be worse. Sort of. So, you know, he's like antitrust-ish, you know. And, okay, and that okay, sort I'll of take thing. it. As good as you can expect a Supreme Court justice yeah. to be in those times, too. Um, or in any time. <laughs> yeah, in any times. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's in Massachusetts. And she was one of three black students in the class. Mm-hmm. I think it was her second year she decided to study abroad in France. Ooh, cool. Yeah, it was very cool. She attended the World Festival of Youth and Students in Helsinki. Is that the, like, the communist-led one? Yeah. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> so it was put on by the World Federation of Democratic Youth and the International Union of Students, which, like, would love one of those. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Basically, their platform was, like, they're pro-democracy and against war and imperialism. Mm-hmm. So, like, all good things. Oh, yeah. Into it. No, those look fun i mean i don't know I don't, I don't know if the entertainment was like cheesy but it's cool <laughs> like it's a goal you know it's a it's a cool goal to unite behind for sure yeah i actually i looked up one of their more recent festivals i just like found their facebook page from 2017 uh-huh and like there are literally photos of people holding up signs of castro like in the crowd like Whoa. it was just like what if you just got to hang out with all these people <laughs> yeah 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 and like i copied their agenda Let's see. They have a parade of delegates commemorating the 100th anniversary of the great October Socialist Revolution. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, the main conference was the goals and achievements of the great October Revolution, uh, the refugee crisis as a result of the imperialist aggressiveness, power of solidarity for the constitution of peace, and then conferences on solidarity forums with Latin American and Caribbean countries. Like, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She went to, I mean, not that same event, obviously. That was 2017. She went to something similar, and um, no surprise, she did get interviewed by the FBI when she got home. <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet they took interest in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you doing learning about world peace and... Can't have that. And international solidarity. What is your problem? <laughs> it was interesting, like, reading the basic Wikipedia for these things, because, like, in the summary, it was like, oh, and these organizations definitely had communist ties and stuff like that and but then i would like look into the organization itself and it was less clear what those ties were like the southern the southern negro youth congress kind of had a similar situation where like they're like oh it was definitely part of like soviet union efforts and stuff like that and then like i went to him like there's nothing here that says that but like i don't know yeah i just thought it was interesting (laughs) if you want kind of a another point that i just pulled up for that yeah, the year, this was in 1962 in Helsinki, the one? Uh, she, went she went to, yeah, that must have been it. Yeah. The United States tried to pressure the Finnish government not to allow this festival to be arranged, but the Finns were like, fuck it, we're doing it, you know? <laughs> and so the U.S. worked together with the U.K. to organize a counter-festival. 
Oh, the squares one. Jeez. Yeah. It was managed, through, you know, and, and kind of like how you said, oh, I couldn't really find the clear ties. There may have been some ties because the way they did theirs was managing it through something called the Independent Research Service. <laughs> okay. They, they were also supported by other organizations like the Program for American Culture and the Swiss Center. So I'm sure they were trying to like hide it behind people or whatever. Yeah, interesting. But they apparently disseminated 100,000 cop- copies of the Gospel of John. What there. the fuck? Also, the Counter Festival was financed and organized by the CIA <laughs> as well. The CIA are good losers. buddies there. Oh. This was the Fed party. What if you thought you're going to the other one, you ended up at that one? You're like, man, I went to Jesus Fest by accident. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> man. Yeah. Uh, so that one sounds lame, but the other yeah. one sounds cool. Yeah, for sure. She graduated and went to the University of Frankfurt and got involved with the Socialist German Student Union. Pretty cool. Cool. Then she returned to the U.S., got her M.A. from the University of California at San Diego. Um, and that's when she starts getting involved with the Black Panther Party. If you want to know more about that, see episode 29. Yes. She also got involved with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and uh, joined the Shea Lumumba Club, which mm-hmm. is an all-black branch of Communist Party USA. Oh, cool. Yeah. So getting radical. Yeah, for sure. She's at that <laughs> point a what, graduate student still, or... Um, she already got her. Or she was a professor guess, at that so. point. Um, here's she's about to be a professor. Ah, okay. <laughs> so she started work as an assistant professor of philosophy at UCLA mm-hmm. in 1969. Before she even taught her first class, she got fired. <laughs> Ooh, talk about a rough uh, first day or first. I don't know. That's it's <laughs> not a good start. Yeah, not a great start. The Board of Regents uh, basically decided to not hire any more communists and, I guess, start firing the ones they had. Yeah. Uh, then Governor Ronald Reagan was, of Ooh. course, like, that's a great idea. Please yes. do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, one of the real villains of history. Ugh, just a shithead. He shows up a few times in this and it's pretty insane. That's an idea for future episodes, along with just the sins of capitalism sort of vein, is also the villains of history... And we can talk about guys like Reagan. We were talking. We were talking shit about Thatcher last time oh, and yeah, Pinochet, yeah, yeah. and there's lots of people we can go after. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> so a judge ruled that they couldn't fire her for being communist, right? But then they fired her literally the next year for quote inflammatory language. Well, what'd you say that we shouldn't worship all cops? <laughs> I mean, you're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> So this gets us into kind of a tangent, which, well, you know, if we need to cut it for time, we can. But like, I think it's a really interesting one. Okay. So this was surrounding her comments about the People's Park demonstrations. All right. So the People's Park was this park that was being built at UC Berkeley. Reagan was really fucking pissed about it because he saw Berkeley as, quote, a haven for communist sympathizers, protesters, and sex deviants. Why didn't I go to yeah, UC you Berkeley? Go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smoke pot with all the hippies and the, yeah, and the queer people. You know, <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> Way to make it sound awesome, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> so he was really mad that this park was being built because he saw it as like, oh, they're definitely going to like hold rallies and protests there, and he thought it was like going to be a hotbed for that kind of thing. Right. He sent cops to the park without like alerting the campus basically 
the cops like kind of destroyed some of the planting that was already happening and like installed an eight foot fence around it to prevent more people from planting, like just shutting it down basically. Yeah. Copping. Some shit happened. (laughs) There was a rally that day at UC Berkeley, uh, like 3000 people showed up and it was originally about the Arab Israeli conflict. But eventually at one point, one of the speakers was like, let's fucking take the park. (laughs) So they fought the cops. Um, oh, hell. Yeah, awesome. they set a car on fire. They threw shit at them. They opened a fire hydrant. And I mean, what do you think the cops did? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on if they feared for their life, <laughs> you know, or they thought that somebody had a gun or I'm sure they rioted. What did they do? <laughs> uh, I mean, they fired tear gas. Eventually, some of the cops, like, I guess, ran away. Like, they ran them off, and people were like, fuck yeah. They cheered, and they flipped a co- police car and set it on fire, which, very cool move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the police were permitted to basically use whatever methods they wanted. So, yeah. riot gear, obscured badges, nightsticks, tear gas, and buckshot, which they later tried to claim was only birdshot, but the forensic report was like, no, this was definitely buckshot. Dude. All right. If you catch, like, red-handed, if you catch a middle schooler (laughs) breaking a rule, red-handed, they will turn to you like, you know, the the best or most cunning guilesome of them (laughs) will turn to you and just, to your face, just be like, no, I didn't do, that wasn't me, I, you know, (laughs) not me. It's like, I saw you. And then, you know, you push them and they'll be like, okay, yeah, like, you know, I'm sorry or whatever, you know. cops are just that i mean their first reaction is just no hey that like wasn't us that didn't happen (laughs) the same methodology as middle school assholes yes it checks out honestly (laughs) so the sheriff at the time even admitted that his officers a lot of whom were vietnam veterans were acting towards protesters quote as though they were Viet Cong. oh shit (laughs) so like bad that's not good i mean that's like Empire Come Home, basically, you know? That's just the viciousness that they were inflicting on other people they come back to due to their own population that they also see as an enemy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. So, injuries and deaths you're looking at. Uh, one man was killed on a nearby roof, and there was conflicting stories on whether or not he was like dropping bricks on him and shit mm-hmm. some people say he was just like a bystander yeah but he was killed and then one guy was permanently blinded Buck. 128 people went to the hospital for wounds from the police but like there was probably more because they didn't want to like get arrested so yeah it's a yeah it's, it's a risky move to go to the, <laughs> go to the hospital yeah <laughs> i was just walking around man <laughs> I don't even know. I fell. <laughs> so Reagan sends in the National Guard because he's Reagan. And um, this is this little bit is kind of the whole reason I wanted to say this tangent. Besides sure. the hotbed of communist sympathizers, quote, apparently hippie women would come up to these National Guard people and give them pot brownies and LSD spiked lemonade. Like, what? <laughs> why are you wasting your drugs on these people? But also that's kind of hilarious. I mean, yeah, that could be. Game changing, man. <laughs> you got like the one like stoner cop who just signed up so that he could get the free pot brownies <laughs> and shit. 
For real. Always finds an excuse to like get out of the doing any violence and stuff. <laughs> I, I gotta go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> that lemonade just went right through me. <laughs> uh. Anyway, back to Angela Davis. She said that the basically blamed the Board of Regents for this and said they killed, brutalized, and murdered the People's Park demonstrators and characterized the police as pigs. So, like, oh, yeah, good. you were not far off. <laughs> yes. So that's why they fired her. That's why they fired they her, because she, she said some shit. They said, that's very mean to pigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be like that. Please. We think the pigs are, like, pretty intelligent. Don't, don't refer to cops as them. <laughs> that's true. Pigs are supposed to be really smart. Yeah. And delicious. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, next, we get to another kind of weird saga connected to her life, which is the story of the Soledad brothers. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of these guys? I have. Uh, I okay. believe. Well, I don't know the details off the top of my head. I thought they were associated some way with the Black Panther Party. Yes. In some sort, form or fashion. And they were in prison and then. A gun. Now, that's the gun case thing. That that's the gun case. All right. Okay. Well, let's get into it. So uh, the Soledad brothers themselves are, they're not brothers. Uh, <laughs> All right. It's George Jackson, Fleeta Drumgo, and John Clachette. And these guys were inmates at the Soledad prison in California. George Jackson was a Panther member, and mm-hmm. he actually wrote a lot about the conditions of the prison, particularly what they called the O-wing section, which I guess was like their very high security area. Yeah. Yeah, he basically just wrote about, like, how terrible the prison was, like, just horrible conditions, like, human waste everywhere, rotten food. So, you got these really bad conditions. And then, January 13th, 1970, they let out some prisoners into the yard. This is kind of weird, because they hadn't been released to the yard in several months. And when they were releasing them, they were only letting out, like, one at a time. Hmm, okay. But on this day, they let out 14 black inmates and two white inmates. And statements from the inmates said that the guards were intentionally mixing in white and black prisoners, including like known racists. Ah, okay. Like Aryan Brotherhood style dudes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they were exactly that, but like it appeared like they were kind of waiting for a fight. Yeah. Okay. And a fight happened. Ah. Shocking. So they set up a fight kind of. All right. I mean, it seems like it. Yeah. It was, it's just a weird move that they like hadn't let them out in that long. And then all of a sudden, like, sure, let's let out a bunch of people at once and including people we know are going to like hate each other. Right. Yeah. A little weird. A fist fight broke out and officer Opie G. Miller, who was stationed in a guard tower, uh, opened fire. No warning shot. Okay. Yeah. Just doing his job. I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. I believe I read that he like whistled and yelled like once or something, but like I mean, the protocol is you're, you're supposed to give a warning shot, so like pretty yeah. shitty. He he starts shooting. Does he kill any of the white people? One guy got injured. Hmm. Okay. It just sounds like maybe he was like whistling like signal. Mm. He's like, hey, when y'all hear that, hit the ground. We're shooting. Ooh, you know? maybe. This is a, this is maybe a little conspiracy. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> well, go ahead. Well, okay, I, I'll feed into that a little bit. All right. Three black people were killed and one white guy was injured. One of the people who were, who was killed was W.L. Nolan, who had been circulating a petition to sue the prison for escalating racial conflicts, particularly like leaving their cells unlocked, which would obviously put them in danger. Like people could come like beat you up and shit. Mm-hmm. So like kind of weird that that's 
the one of the guys that ended up dead, but I don't know. Huh. I don't want to put my tinfoil hat on just yet. I just washed my hair and it looks great. So, well, it's they're not above it. I'll say that. <laughs> Fucked up shit happens in police forces, in prisons, so. Yeah. I mean, including the fact that inmates claim that the guards barred them from taking the wounded to a hospital for 20 minutes, just letting them bleed there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty fucked up. Mhm. Okay. So, in response, 13 black prisoners went on a hunger strike to, like, call for an investigation, basically. What ended up happening was a grand jury exonerated Miller. So, okay. So, (laughs) they were like, no, he didn't do anything. Yeah. They're like, he followed orders, basically. Like, it's fine. Miller is... Miller's the guard. Okay, I was thinking... No, you're good. That's confusing. Okay. No, you're... Oh, all right. Yeah, so... Yeah, shocking. The cop got away with it. Right, yeah. (laughs) No black inmates were allowed to testify, including people who were fucking witnesses in the yard. So, like, great trial you had there. So, yeah, they just shoot it on away. Said that's fine. Yeah. What happens next was the inmates heard the ruling on the radio. 30 minutes later, they find another white prison guard dead. He was found beaten, and it appeared like he was thrown from the third floor. All right. And the Soledad brothers... Jackson, Drumgo, and Clochette were charged, and and yeah, so they were charged for this murder, and mm-hmm. the Soledad Brothers Defense Committee was formed to help their defense, and Angela Davis was involved. Okay. What did she do? Uh, I mean, I think she was like an advisor for them oh, in some okay. capacity. Right. Yeah. She gets involved a little more, though, in the next part of the story. It's a long saga. <laughs> okay. Flash forward. The... Original prison yard riot was in January up to August of the same year, 1970. Mm-hmm. George Jackson's 17-year-old brother, Jonathan, holds up a courtroom in Marin County. They were trying a different inmate from Soledad, James McLean, and he was charged with an attempted stabbing of a guard at Soledad. Yeah. And he basically shows up, arms McLean, frees the other inmates that are there like as witnesses, uh-huh. and they take some hostages. Okay. Yeah. Some direct action. Some getting the goods. <laughs> some getting the goods. Some DA. <laughs> um, yeah, they take the judge. They take like three women on the jury and the deputy district attorney. And so you've got four kidnappers and five hostages. And they leave the building telling the police that they want the Soledad brothers freed by 1230 that day. All right. Uh, how does that go? It does not last long. Mm. They get in a van, uh, but quickly encounter a police roadblock. Uh, McLean shoots at the police, like from like the window, and there basically was a shootout. In the process, uh, the judge gets killed. It's unclear whether he was killed from inside the van or outside. From like the cops. Yeah. Yeah. He did have like a shotgun fucking taped to his neck, so like could be either way. Okay. What? Yeah. Like No, they they taped a fucking sawed-off shotgun to his neck like to hold him hostage. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, it was really intense. Wow. But as he got shot from like both places, but they're like, I mean, either one would have killed him. So He was yeah, he was in a bad spot. <laughs> he was double dead. Yeah. Um one of the hostages manages to get a gun. <laughs> Did you laugh at double, double dead? De- yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, judge. <laughs> Okay, anyway, one of the hostages manages to get a gun, and he shoots at the kidnappers, and Mm -hmm. three of the kidnappers are killed, and the hostages, uh, I think a couple of them were injured fairly badly. Back to Angela Davis. What the fuck does she have to do with this? Right. She doesn't, this doesn't seem like her (laughs) milieu, her scene. 
So apparently she bought the guns, including one that had been purchased at a pawn shop like two days before, which like doesn't look great. Like, eh. And apparently California considered this aiding and abetting, which I thought was like a different charge. But they basically charged her for kidnapping and first degree murder. Like, that's what it says on the FBI posters, wanted for kidnapping, hmm. first-degree murder. And I'm like, well, she didn't do that. Like, she wasn't there in the van. But it could be that aiding and abetting gives you the sense. So, like, uh, they were the talking about sentence. this in the Chauvin trial because they're putting on the, you know, the next officers, the other mm, guys. Okay. Yeah. And they were like, in Minnesota, you get charged with aiding and abetting. You get, you know, you're basically up for the same sentence as the, uh, as the okay, other gotcha. crime. So it could be something like that. But I guess, you know, they have to, you would think they would have to prove that she's not just like someone who doesn't ask a lot of questions. Like, <laughs> hey, man, if you need me to buy a gun for you, sure, I'll buy it. I don't need to know what, what's up, you know. <laughs> so apparently she had also been corresponding with one of the inmates involved. But like I, she was also involved in like, she was an advisor brother's that, case. Right? So, so like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she became the third woman on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitive list. Girl power or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, hit or miss, maybe. Some of them are on there (laughs) I'm sure some of them are terrible. She fucking left town. She went to Chicago and then Florida. Full on, like, spy movie disguises. Cut off her afro. Wore, like, fake glasses and, like... Yeah. All kinds of shit. I, I can't remember some of the descriptions, but it sounded like just ridiculous stuff, That's like dope. changed her makeup and all kinds of things. It's <laughs> awesome. She was eventually found, though, in New York City in October of oh. 1970. Man, I thought she would be leaving the country. Okay. I know, right? Like, not uncommon. But she stuck around. Okay. So then they catch her in New York. Yes. She claimed her innocence, and uh, the General Counsel of Communist Party USA uh, actually represented her for a while, uh, John Apt. Uh, his name is A-B-T. Like, how the hell do you pronounce that? I don't know. Could be Asylum B. All right. So she gets arrested, and basically the whole world kind of goes nuts about it. There's, like, this mass movement demanding her release, being like, what the fuck, man? Like, she just owned the gun. That's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And she was also well-known as, like, a civil rights leader and stuff like that, like, she was already cool by this point, basically. Right. And it, I don't know, it kind of looks like you're targeting someone for, especially since she's been targeted before, fired mm-hmm. and everything else. Exactly. So you had Black People in Defense of Angela Davis, which was formed in New York and grew to over 200 chapters in the U.S. and 67 in foreign countries. So like worldwide movement. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. John Lennon and Yoko Ono made a song called Angela. <laughs> I have not listened to it, but... I don't know. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I think the Rolling Stones made one too, which I'm like, I did not know the Rolling Stones was that political, but okay. Yep. You know, it could have just been one of those things that reached a critical mass to where everybody was doing it, you know? Maybe, yeah. Like, they just like, I don't really know anything about her, but... <laughs> Let's just jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Are they also British, I assume? Yes, they are. Okay. So, she was eventually released on bail. Another weird point. I just, I love her bio because there's so many like weird little footnotes. Her bail was paid through a combination of funds from a dairy farmer from Fresno and a wealthy business owner. So, like, just some rich guys were like, sure, yeah. Uh, cool. (laughs) Yeah, cool move. You know, they're fans, I guess. (laughs) Oh, and another weird monetary fund, the United Presbyterian Church helped with her legal fees. Like, 
Everybody loves her, I guess. Uh, apparently, <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> all strokes. <laughs> so eventually, 1972, all-white jury declares her not guilty, and they just determined, hey, I mean, owning the guns is not enough to tie you to this crime, so, like, you're good. Wow, and an all-white jury, too. I know. Surely you could find one asshole who's just like... <laughs> couldn't dig up well apparently her one of her legal team members was like a psychiatrist or psychologist i can't remember which but he actually like interviewed the jury and like used psychiatry to like determine whether or not they'd be good fits and that was a very uncommon practice at the time like now that's like apparently standard procedure yeah 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 i mean you can strike juries or whatever but that's interesting they did did like a psych profile kind of a Mm -hmm. breakthrough thing yeah oh So after this, understandably, she wants to spread her wings a little, stretch her legs. So she basically goes on tour for a minute. All right. She goes to Cuba, 1972. Soviet Union, later that same year. Cool and cool. Yeah. She received an honorary doctorate from Moscow State University and the Lenin Peace Prize. Pretty cool. Cool. All right. An award. Nice. Yeah. She went to East Germany at some point in this period and this is another weird little connection. Apparently, she was friends with Jim Jones, like, of Jonestown Jim Jones. The mass suicide cult yeah. thing? Wow. Yeah. So, okay. like, apparently, he, like, was friends with a lot of progressives in, like, California. I actually have heard about this, um, that he kind of was calling himself a socialist or something for a little while there or something like that. Yeah, see, she apparently gave a speech to people living in Jonestown, like, via the radio, and was like, you're doing great, like, <laughs> your mission is a good one, like, shit like that, so, like, Oops. yeah, I, yeah, not so great, because I think that was, like, really soon, like, really right before the suicide, so. We, oof. uh, we all make mistakes, that's yeah. one there. Bad judge of character at that point. <laughs> one strike, that's it. She's doing great compared to most of our other biographies. Well, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> I don't know if one would want to count buying a gun for someone to hold up a courtroom. Yeah. But they said not guilty. So she's they like complete. Guilty. She's exonerated from that. So that that's doesn't count. Enough. Yeah. So that's not a strike. <laughs> then we get to the Joan Little case in 1974. So Joan Little was a 20-year-old black inmate in North Carolina who killed her rapist, who was... Oh, white corrections officer. Ah. Yeah. So Angela Davis wrote about this in Ms. Magazine, um, which was very popular in the 70s, mm-hmm. and uh, basically wrote about the history of kind of the rape dynamic between white men and black females and how that rape is underreported. Mm-hmm. And when it is reported, it's not believed. Basically, people, because of the like hypersexualization of black people, like, they mm. just will not believe rape allegations. They'll just yeah. be like, oh, you obviously seduced him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what they're spinning with this case, too. And Davis actually ended up joining her defense team as an advisor, and Joan Little was found not guilty. So, yeah. Oh, good job. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see those themes kind of pop up again when we get to the reading portion. Cool. Sounds good. She then starts teaching at the Claremont Black Studies Center in 1975. All right. This sounds cool. If I didn't go to UC Berkeley, I'd want to go here because (laughs) uh, her classes were considered like so uh, dangerous by the faculty there and like the alumni benefactors Uh that classes were limited to 26 students 
classes were only on Fridays and Saturdays because, you know, like the campus is less crowded then. Mm-hmm. And the classroom changed locations and students were sworn to secrecy. This is some like Dumbledore's army shit. What the <laughs> heck? But, but like even they were like, this is dangerous, but we're going to let a few kids do this. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand the logic of, like, it's so dangerous. You can do it, but, like, we're going to make you go in a dungeon or whatever. (laughs) That's wild. Okay. Very weird. But she basically keeps teaching the rest of her life. Like, there's a very long list of places she has taught. So, yeah, basically anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially in California. Her class, her super secret corrupting class, uh, what was she (laughs) actually teaching? Just, you know, fuck the system or, like, a particular course? So I couldn't find what she was teaching at that point, but I know in general she has majored in French. She also studied philosophy. She also has taught women's studies. So, yeah, I assume it was something in that vein. Okay, cool. Feminist studies. Well, history of consciousness. That sounds cool and weird. Yeah, that's trippy. (laughs) I think you would like that. Yes. (laughs) So this whole time, she's been a member of Communist Party USA. Yay. Yeah. In 1980 and 1984, she was actually their nominee for vice president, which is like pretty cool. How'd she do? I mean, not good. Uh, (laughs) They got like, I think, 2% of the vote or something like that. Like, not great. Fucking good. Kind of (laughs) 2%. Here, let me double check that number. That seems, it does seem too good. 2% of American voters in 1980? 1980 and 1984. Oh, no, sorry. It was (laughs) 0.02. Oh, no. Okay. That's... It's 10 times as bad. That is, yeah. That's more along the lines of what I would think they would... Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, uh, I think this was just on Reddit, kind of some criticisms. Maybe it was just people's local branches or whatever, but there was kind of some conflict in this one in a few threads that they were talking about. Like, Communist Party USA is, like, not as good versus uh, this other one they were calling about. PC USA. So I don't know. Maybe there's like, we've got to get more into more modern communist parties and look at like what's out there. That's funny that you say that because that's kind of what Angela Davis did. Oh, okay. Basically after her run, she broke with the party. Uh, it was more because of like after the fall of the Berlin Wall, she wanted to move away from like strict Leninism. Okay. And so she formed like a splinter group, basically, because you're not a good leftist unless you form a splinter group. (laughs) Right. Yeah. At some point, our podcast will end with us each forming our own splinter (laughs) group. You're not radical enough. I'm out of here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, that would be terrible. She formed the Committees of Correspondence for Democracy and Socialism. Basically, it's just a little more... Uh, democratic socialist in in stripe okay so more moderate so not then. as radical which yeah. is weird yeah well maybe i mean getting trounced 0.02 percent might be like <laughs> i gotta do something i gotta get more votes than that more support <laughs> yeah, right? than that not just electoralism but yeah well i think it's interesting given like what i've read from her now i think i kind of understand that instinct to maybe go a little more center it seems seems like she's kind of in that de leon camp of like let's do both okay yeah so we can respect that here yeah i'm into it 1997 she founds something called critical resistance which is like an organization in california Mm -hmm. and they basically are trying to stop the prison industrial complex (laughs) is really it oh hell yeah 
Yeah, so they were, like, protesting the building of prisons. They're doing cop watching. They're trying to help prisoners get education and political education, leadership development, and, like, all this cool shit, basically. Basically just, like, starting the abolitionist movement. Yeah, and (laughs) that's interesting. The way you lay that out is they're both trying to, right, end prisons, but also kind of, in the meantime, improve lives mm-hmm. for people in there like and maybe prisons as we know them and then end prisons altogether yeah i think that's an important point because like yeah you got to help the people that are in there now mm-hmm. you know yeah so guess why we're not accelerationists people who just want to make oh, things no. worse until revolution happens that's not for me yeah <laughs> so now we get to the point where we've kind of finished out the main part of the bio she's still around she's still writing she's still writing books doing stuff giving speeches so i thought we should maybe talk about some of those things that she has produced all right yeah let's get into her works directly we have a reading from her book women race and class uh this was written in 1981 and you can find this reading on Marxist.org, our, our home away from home. We're sponsored by <laughs> Marxist.org. <laughs> That'd be great. I don't, don't think they, think do they have any money. Yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, this is actually just a chapter from that book. I think it's chapter 13. So mm-hmm. we both read it. And I don't know. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to start? What do you want to do? I guess I can start. What'd you think? <laughs> this was super cool to imagine carrying out the policy she was advocating for here oh yeah socialized housework <laughs> yeah so she kind of st- kind of goes a few different places in the in the chapter kind of talking about this movement that was going on in the time in italy and then kind of more broadly speaking across the world that was saying why don't we pay wages mm-hmm. to housewives and so she kind of does this philosophical breakdown of why that wouldn't really solve things like you get paid a wage at a job, and you're still oppressed. <laughs> People don't like that necessarily, and plus, like, you're just trapped in your house with money now. Like, it won't help you necessarily. And I thought it was cool, the point she brought out about, she talks about how housework remains primitive. I thought that was really interesting, and it's so true. Like, I think about it, I'm like, why am I so sweaty after cleaning for, like, 30 minutes? It's like, because this sucks. Yeah, yeah, like, there's no, and she keeps emphasizing how, like, basically nothing good comes from it. Like, you just have to do this kind of to not live in filth. But other Mm -hmm. than that, you know, nobody notices really when it's done, just when it's not done. It's it's just Mm -hmm. drudgery, and it's also manual and individual, and... She was saying in there that that the industries of our economy become like technologically improved and stuff when they are done socially, not just as a government, but just like in large numbers. This is what Engels was talking about in yeah. Socialism, Scientific and Utopian is you start with the small artisan doing everything himself and then technological innovation like in bringing multiple people together to produce socially it just reminded me of that parallel, but... Uh, oh, for sure, yeah. I think she even quotes him at one point. Yeah. No, Not she, from that reading, but like a different one. She quotes yes. him, she quotes Lenin. It was a fire read. It was a good uh, one. <laughs> and yeah, I really like the proposal to, like you said, provide housework as a social good. Like have people come house to house <laughs> Fuck yes. employed by the government to clean your fucking house. That would be dope. That would be so good. <laughs> Please, please. I'm literally staring at my vacuum cleaner and the piles of dog hair everywhere. Yeah. Ugh. I did a, 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 
here we go again back to bougie selves <laughs> i had to do housework earlier and it was hard oh no and i didn't like it but i don't know i mean like that's that would be fucking cool if we had that and it would be like she makes the arguments that it would be more workers like i mean these would be workers who could you know would be in the working class uh, mm-hmm. who could unionize who could make demands of capital you know who could withhold their labor power who could do strikes and improve the conditions and ultimately not just the conditions as far as like that were given but improve like their share of decision-making power like their yeah stake in our society yeah well i really like kind of the progression of this reading too i mean first off i like the first part because they're like wouldn't it be crazy if men did the housework i'm like i i do like maybe 10 percent of housework (laughs) I, I have a house husband that she was talking about. I'm like, I have one. I did like that. It was also <laughs> early on where she was talking about, you know, women always have to do the housework, but now progressives and, you know, stuff are starting mm-hmm. to, men are starting to help with the housework, but they always consider it as helping with the housework rather than like doing their then owning share it. of it. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, like, huh, I wonder to what extent I do that. I've even heard, I mean, from... <laughs> Cis straight couples. Sorry to bash on y'all. It's okay. Uh, you just make it. it so easy. Yeah. <laughs> but I've I've heard of like husbands calling like watching the kids like babysitting. It's like no, those are fucking yours. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, but that's just what happens when you have that division of labor. Like, there's a default person that does that. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of an asshole and went hard the other way. <laughs> Where if like if I <laughs> I just don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. I have two jobs. Yeah, and you know we can all improve. I could do more. So. Yeah, but that's not what this is really about. But I just thought I just thought it was interesting. I think it is interesting, and like she kind of goes through like the history of of housework mm-hmm. and how it used to be like the fucking central economic backbone of the house. Like you would card wool, you would like make everyone's clothes. Sounded like and pioneer days butter. to me, but yeah, straight up, yeah, <laughs> sounded miserable. But she was saying, like, your house would be kind of nasty. Like, you would do... There was, like, spring cleaning for a reason. Because, like, the rest of the time, it was pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> You'd do, like, monthly baths. Yeah, but, like, that's because you were doing so much other shit. Like, you were having to produce everything you needed, really. You didn't have yeah. time for frivolous things like that. Yeah. And so, like, as those things became mass-produced, like we were still stuck with having to do the housework, but now like there was no economic value to it basically. Yeah. The, the capitalization of the economy to where the real value of things was not things themselves, but the profit that they generated for capitalists, I think is how she put it. Yeah. In the home, you're still producing tangible goods or benefits or you know, mm-hmm. services. But since that wasn't generating a profit economically, that was considered fucking worthless it was interesting though when she was talking about the people who are like well we deserve wages one of the arguments for it was that it since it is providing it's not providing like a tangible good but is providing a service Mm -hmm. basically viewing housework as an extension of taking care of workers like making sure the workers are fed making sure like they have clean clothes raising the next generation of workers which that's really dystopic and yeah in marxist terms that's just social reproduction um, that's a cost that capitalists have to factor in and they have to say, I need to pay my workers enough so that they are alive and come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's so gross. Uh, yeah. 
one thing that did stand out to me was when she, you know, kind of switches over to talking about service, like the, this is mm-hmm. almost kind of a service industry sort of thing. That's a big thing in today's economy, but this was written oh, in yes. like the 80s, uh, is that the service sector is treated like shit. Absolutely. One thing that you somewhat see, it's kind of a basically just a bad trend that you see in education is that schools more and more school districts more and more talk about customer service and you know making sure to like keep parents in the district and what and whatnot like happy with their experience you know that sort of language yeah and yeah oh that's concerning yeah yeah i don't want it to go that route because (laughs) that's not a good (laughs) land to be in no it's not the parent is always right (laughs) right sounds like a nightmare (laughs) but i mean we've i think we've talked about this on the show too is that as sectors of the economy uh start getting more women in them the wages Mm, drop yeah you've talked about this yeah, so that happens with that happened with teachers. It, they used to be mostly male uh, because mostly only men could read. Yeah, that happened with like computer scientists. Those were all like just type people, basically typists. They would hire, huh, um, okay. and then eventually they're like, "Oh shit, this is important. Like, <laughs> let's put men in there instead." Ah, <laughs> uh, classic. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. They she didn't really address that here, but I I, th- I do think it's interesting that like women's labor is always like completely devalued yeah yeah i did find it curious that she kind of focuses aside from the proposal of you know providing housework socially the idea of getting you know of women joining the workforce basically like campaigning for jobs on an equal basis with men as kind of a not a solution but a step in the direction i found i found it curious because i'm like uh, we we kind of routinely pillory people who are just like, oh, it's <laughs> all jobs about jobs. Yeah. I, I thought that was weird, too. And, like, I get her um, reactions to, like, asking for wages for housework. But I'm like, just make those the real jobs. Like, those could be the socialized jobs that you want. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess I'm just struggling with, like, well, then wouldn't the technicians that do those jobs also be devalued and treated like shit? Like, someone has to do that. And whoever does that should should not be treated like shit. Yeah, I, I do think that's maybe where she was talking about where how they're using the word technician, how they're trying not to mm. be domestic servants in any sort of way, not yeah. focused on serv- focus on doing a job. Right, the technician versus the servant is. I'm not here to cater to your whims. I'm here to mm-hmm. fix the house to where it should be. Uh, I found it curious, and and I think that what she was trying to say is that with these jobs on an equal basis with men, they can like men like workers in general regardless of gender should be campaigning for their rights as workers and again not just like better paying conditions and stuff not just kind of laborism but like actual control of the workplace and and yeah i feel like she rounded it out with that that kind of stuff too yeah yeah i think that's it wasn't just like women should stop cleaning and go get a job (laughs) no 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 yeah for sure no it it (laughs) doesn't come across that way either this is a cool read like yeah Yeah, pretty sure so she also brings up like the role of immigrants and slaves in like kind of the history of how like domestic labor went down. Like, yeah, it, I mean, they were treated like shit obviously, uh-huh. but they weren't seen as like normal women or like natural women, like right. white women were. So they were paid less and they were worked harder physically. Like apparently during slavery, like women would work basically the same kinds of jobs mm-hmm. as men because they weren't like 
feminized in that way. Yeah, and it was interesting. Uh, she brings up a point that the concept of the you know submissive and domestic housewife mm-hmm. was only ever really in practice a middle class concept or For an upper sure. class concept because you know because well I guess not even an upper because you would just have help do the things. Yeah, that's just true. middle class. <laughs> and working, like she said, working class immigrants were always working the whole time, you know, in, in jobs and in the house. And so were black women before, you know, during and after slavery. It was just an interesting point. It's like that just, you know, we're talking about this concept like it's universal, but it's not like so many people yeah. don't have it. And that's true in our world today. Like there's compared to what she was talking about then, there's even fewer women who are stay at home or uh mm-hmm. like don't have jobs uh i mean most people are in in a two-parent working household right like, yeah that's very common now yeah yeah so it was just um interesting to see like we're we're talking about this as if it's what everyone does there is a stay at home and it's just not the case at all no it's not like everyone has that i think she calls it like the double burden of, mm-hmm. of labor and housework and yeah it sucks like yeah We've talked about it before, that whole basically fucking math puzzle you have to do of like, okay, I've got to go to work and then I have to drive and I have to do this and then clean and yeah. eat and exercise and, oh, fuck, I'm not going to exercise. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, something's got to get cut. <laughs> you have to work and then you have to go home and keep yourself, you know, maintain yourself so that you can go back to work. Keep working. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, that was a bummer. Let's go to our next reading, right. which is also a bummer. <laughs> All right. Next reading. It has some some fire stuff in it. I really enjoyed this one. So this next one is, Are Prisons Obsolete? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you can actually find this PDF. Like, it's, it was just on her Wikipedia page. Like, yeah, just go get it. It's great. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, this was written in 2003 and basically questions the existence of prisons. Kind of talks about, like, their efficacy, the racist history of prisons, Mm -hmm. the prison industrial complex, and how that plays into gender, and also goes into some abolitionist alternatives. All right. We want to get into the details here. Mm -hmm. I've got kind of a question for you up top. I think we're both, you know, on board with prison abolition at this point. Mm -hmm. But, like, for me, this was kind of a slower journey. Like, this was something I adopted later in my journey through leftism oh yeah which i find weird now but i just thought you know well kind of like how she writes in there like you're always gonna have prisons you know (laughs) yeah i i agree like i felt that way too i think it wasn't really it really wasn't until last year that i was like okay yeah i need to i need to rethink this one Mm -hmm. and i i love how she does bring up those kind of common responses to saying oh we should get rid of prisons it's it's you got to have prisons and like, what about the rapists and murderers? Like, right. You know, she does kind of address those things. So mm-hmm. if you're not on board, I get it, <laughs> but let's, let's kind of go through it. Yeah. Cause you're not alone or insane. Like it does sound weird to start with. Like, let's just not have prisons. And you know, it sounds weird without context. Right. Yeah. 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 It's cause like yeah. you said, you're jumping to the, to the immediate, like, well, what about, you know, child abusers and all this stuff, you know? Mm hmm. Give us a chance. <laughs> yeah. And and I think it's important. I think we mentioned this in our like police violence episode. Like it's not like we're hitting a button. And it's like all prisons are gone. <laughs> Turn them like, loose. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not what we're saying. Yeah. And I think that becomes clear in this reading too. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
So she talks about the history of punishment, uh, which I found fascinating because I love a good social history read yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I like really specific histories. <laughs> Food, the history of tacos, marriage, yeah. swear words, tacos. I have read a book on tacos. <laughs> all that shit. <laughs> uh, I mean, this one was a lot darker than the usual history I read, but it was very good. Yeah. So she talks about like kind of the hierarchy of punishment, which I thought was interesting. Basically, like your race and financial value and status kind of determined how you could be punished. Mm, okay. For example, women did not have legal status because they basically did not have any legal like once they married their husbands, much. they would not have rights. Yeah. Which is crazy. So like it was very hard to punish them through the state. Like you'd have to like do a murder or something. Yeah. They were talking about paraphernalia on way with words and i learned that paraphernalia mm. originally referred to well it was like from latin or something but at some point it got this this usage of um being the wife's proper like it was still the property of the man but it was what the man like considered her personal effects sort of thing oh my god this is like, like her comb or whatever right like this is just her shit like she can you know <laughs> use it she has free use of this oh thank even you. though it's his it was the That's paraphernalia. Insane. It was like everything but like the dowry. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, messed up. Anyway, probably that's a sidebar weird. that we can cut. But That's fine. <laughs> I like it. So yeah, this would inform, like, if you think about slavery too, like, if you were punishing a slave, you didn't want to make it too bad so that they died because slaves were, like, worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Social reproduction. Yeah, yeah. You also um, have white women were more likely to be deemed insane and sent to asylums, whereas like black or indigenous women were deemed criminal and sent to prisons, often men's prisons. Uh, Cause for a while there, they didn't have like separate structures. Mm-hmm. So basically like white women had the freedom to have emotions and like mental illness and stuff like that. And other women did not. Yeah. I would not on the other hand, want to be sent to an asylum either the asylums are also bad yeah yeah, she makes a point to say that those were also very bad yeah either situation sucked (laughs) one worse maybe than the other yeah for sure like there's a lot of history of like women being sent to those for no reason or very like minor reasons reasons yeah yeah like hysteria is a whole thing right when we talk about punishment apparently before they had incarceration like just prisons Mm -hmm. you basically only had jail which for a long time an embarrassing long time i did not know the difference between jail and prison (laughs) i I thought they were the same thing i think a lot of people (laughs) are in that boat for a while in their life is uh yeah you know at some point you kind of slowly figure it out unless you're just really into police procedurals maybe or something maybe you learn it quicker maybe i did not watch enough nypd or whatever (laughs) If you don't know, jail is where you wait to be sentenced. Prison is where you go after you're sentenced. Yeah. If you're, if you were still in that boat, we have <laughs> let okay. you out of shame it. You. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to shame you, but it's cool. But before they just like didn't have prison. It was, you only had jail and your punishment was likely corporal punishment, including like death, you know, right. hanging, yeah. whatever, but also just like horrible, horrible tortures. And you know, we're going to cut off an arm, shit like that. Yeah. This is olden times, dude. Yeah. But. You don't always do that, but you know, they had like the stockades and stuff. You have the stockades too. That's another one. All of it sucks, I guess. All of it sucks to be punished in in these various ways. (laughs) 
Well, that's the thing. They punishment was much more of like a public spectacle. Like yeah. it was like a shaming thing too. So like that's why you had things like the stockades. Okay. Reformists were like, guys, we can't, <laughs> we can't do this. Like let's, let's do something nicer. They said and it's so inhumane they, or something, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we got prison through reform, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, they're like. Let's not kill people, which like, hey, great start. Uh, let's lock them up forever. Mm, I don't know about that one. <laughs> okay, yeah, that doesn't sound, it's not great. I don't, I don't have to say it doesn't sound good. It isn't good. We've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. She makes the point that this could really only be done once we hit the Enlightenment period, because that's when we established or whatever, like, oh, you have certain inalienable rights, like everyone's right to freedom. Okay. So you couldn't have your freedom taken away if you didn't have freedom before. Interesting. Yeah. Before that, you would just be like, what? It's prison. You get to boss me around, but here instead of <laughs> boss me around, but out there. I mean, I guess like, I don't know. That seemed like a weird philosophical note for that, but it was interesting. I don't know. Another reason we moved to that. There's a few reasons, but one of them was that we were also now using time to quantify labor and so therefore we can now give punishments by taking away time because time is now money <laughs> interesting okay i think we should abolish time <laughs> just chunk it out the window man we don't need it no more time wake up go do what you want to do what time are we Hopefully meeting up you, see people. Ah, you know later i don't know later sometime later <laughs> <laughs> there's also a strong religious aspect to the idea of, of prison actually of course there is of course there is so people viewed it as like, oh, this is your time to like repent and like self-reflect and grow or whatever. It's your purgatory. It, they literally use the word purgatory. Oh man. <laughs> All right. So if you end up going to purgatory, it's just, it's just prison. I mean, <laughs> you know? it sounds like it. I yeah. hope it's not that bad because gosh, these, some of the descriptions were pretty rough. Oh yeah. I, prisons I used to be to way shittier than they even are now. Yeah. I mean, and they're still shitty. So they're still very shitty. So yeah, they drew a lot of inspiration from like monasteries, basically like, oh yeah, you're alone. You can think about what you did wrong or whatever. You're in timeout. Weirdly enough, she also makes a connection to novels. Apparently, like the novels that were really big at this time were things like Robinson Crusoe, which also emphasized like being alone and growing as a person. I'm like, okay, that's that's a weird stretch, but sure. <laughs> Damn, I hope we don't abolish prisons, but come up with the next like form of it from novels because people will be like what if we just like you know put them in a contest that they have to fight for their life or something you know like <laughs> some sci-fi book that they read yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it would not be surprised export them to mars and have them mm-hmm. mine shit for us just turn mars into old australia i mean I th- i'm pretty sure that's what elon musk wants to do so <laughs> we're already there so this guy this is the guy we can blame for some things Jeremy Bentham, Mm -hmm. he came up with what's called the panopticon, which I did not know this word. Yeah, he was a utilitarian philosopher, I believe. Well, he sucked. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what do you say? So the panopticon was basically a circular building. Okay. And it had like circular tiers and cells all around it. So basically... Uh, there are these guard towers around it. So you could be seen by the warden at all times. But the trick is like, he doesn't have to watch you at all times, but you, he could be. So like, you basically have to act good and AKA work the whole time. Ah, no getting out of it. It's so fucked up. He would have loved, uh, he would have loved the NSA. <laughs> That's true. Someone's You're always, always being watching. Watched. Yeah. Ugh, it's so fucked. As we move from jails to prisons, 
it's this weird hierarchy of like, okay, now prisons are basically being governed under slave codes. You know, you get your freedoms taken away and you have to do forced labor. I mean, black people were just under slave codes because they were slaves. Yeah. But after slavery, things kind of shift over one. That old 13th Amendment. Yeah. (laughs) You want to tell the class what the 13th Amendment is? 13th Amendment is everyone is taught in American history classes abolished (laughs) slavery. It got rid of slavery, guys. It's just there's no more slavery. Except. (laughs) Now, a lot of people don't hear this part. They're just 13th Amendment abolished slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. Except is actually it's it's part it's in there it's written in mm-hmm. there except as punishment for a crime. Yeah, not great. So if you get convicted of a crime, you could be sentenced to slavery or involuntary servitude. I think they use both Pretty words in bad. the in the amendment. Pretty bad one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, don't like that. What ended up happening? They got rid of slavery, and there's this huge shift in the prison population because they institute what's called the black codes. So instead of mm-hmm. the slave codes, now we have the black codes where they basically just basically criminalize being black, but in particular vagrancy, uh, like petty theft, drunkenness. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. just ridiculous things. Basically, if you're black and probably poor, like you're going to jail. Right. And they would force people to sign work contracts for like Ooh. a year, two years, whatever. Uh, but like the thing was you had to like have this contract with you. You had to be able to prove to people that oh, you fuck. like were employed by somebody because if you were unemployed, oh. then you get hit with the vagrancy charge and you're off to prison where they can make you work for free. Holy shit. That's rough. Yeah. And these, you know, these work contracts, once you sign that, like there's no way out, you can't get yeah. out of this. And uh, so it's basically Ugh. like a way to kind of mini slavery with extra steps, basically. Yeah, yeah, it is a loophole slavery situation. Mm-hmm. What's crazy, so before this, 99% of prisoners in Alabama were white, and shortly after the black codes hit, like, they shifted to majority black prisoners. Like, wow. fucking shocking. Yep. We just found a new place to put black people, basically. Yeah. This exists today. Like, I mean, it just fucking does. Like, if you think about how people get pulled over more, you know, racial mm-hmm. profiling, stuff like that, even, like, Breonna Taylor's case, like, they were instructed to police that area more because they wanted to drive out poor people so they could gentrify the neighborhood. Yeah. It's still targeted in terms of who they're going after in terms of like, if you think broken windows policing, that's Mm -hmm. all targeted at areas that they're, I mean, and this is like we were mentioning before it's the police see this as being an occupying force. Yeah. And so they're doing basically doing counterinsurgency against people of color. What was that thing on the Trailbillies the other day? Maybe it was a few weeks ago. They're saying that like the biggest threat is now domestic and it just sounded so fucking police state. Yeah. That was fucked up. Yep. That's, I mean, that's the federal government's like view of us at this point is we got to worry about these people here now, like being a problem. (laughs) So fucked up. Yeah. And if they give us a chance, we will be a problem, but we don't have much of a chance. Right. Right. Ugh. So then we get to the convict lease system, which I didn't really know about. Like, I, I guess I knew it existed, but I never, like, I guess thought about it, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's kind of the point, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, basically, they would lease out prisoners to, like, corporations, like mining companies. One of them was, it was a mining company for $18.50 per month per person. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yup. Uh, again... 
you can just do that. You don't have to pay them like any amount of money, really. Nope. So lots of labor was hidden in this process. And because they were the corporations that run these pigeons, they were paid per prisoner, which means, hey, we should have longer sentences and build more prisons so we can make more money. Yeah. The thing about building a prison... Uh, people will, oh, you know, well, hey, it's like overcrowded. We got to have more mm-hmm. you know, space for people. But once you, you know, you're obviously not going to build a prison just enough to house like your current prison population because you're just nope. imagining that it's going to grow, right? So you build it bigger and you've you've really got to fill that up or it costs you money. Yeah, basically. They're, they have an incentive to fill it up. With public prisons, with private prisons, you know, like, oh, private prisons, they're bad. But like, Mm -hmm. so are public prisons, so. Yeah. I thought this was interesting. So the lease system was abolished in 1941, which I did not know. Um, I just assumed this was still happening because because of that 13th Amendment. I'm like, well, wouldn't they just keep doing it? Just call it something different? Like, do they still do that? They still make prisoners make shit, right? Yes, they do. In fact, Texas is one of the four states in the United States that does not pay inmates for their labor and monetary funds, with the other states being Georgia, Arkansas, and Alabama. Jesus Christ. So it's just, you know, the Confederacy doing Confederate things. <laughs> yeah. So now you just can't lease them out to a different company, basically. I, I bet the other ones pay them like a cent or something ridiculous. All U.S. prison systems and the federal system have some form of penal labor. Although Jesus. inmates are paid for the labor in most states, usually amounting to less than a dollar an hour. Whoa. As of 2017, Arkansas, Georgia, and Texas did not pay inmates for any work, whether inside the prison or in state-owned businesses. Additionally, Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and South Carolina, none of them above the Mason-Dixon line, allowed unpaid labor for at least some jobs. At that point, if you're making a, less than a dollar an hour, your body's going to be so wrecked that that would not even cover like the degradation of your body at that point. Like, what the fuck? Yep. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> that sucks. But I don't know. I just think it's really interesting and weird how and like she talks about it in terms of prisons that like we just prefer not to think about it like oh those are for like different people you yeah. know like, those are criminals those are not right. regular people this wouldn't happen and i to feel me. like we do that with with other things too like if you're more of an asshole you'll do it with like service industry people like oh that's a burger flipping job mm, like you yeah. you delineate between people you know yeah. and it's so you can like exploit them and not feel as bad yeah it's crazy <laughs> No, like I, I read a tweet this week that was like, we basically have trained people to get used to having servants with like fucking like Instacart and Uber and shit. Like now peop- a whole class of people is now used to doing that. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Including our bougie asses. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's different if you are utilizing a service like that and interacting with the person as a human. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's ways to be nice about it. But I just I think it's interesting that instead of like socializing taxis, we just went hard the other way. It's like, no, let's make it all individual people mm. who do not get paid enough. Yeah, okay. So you could and this is kind of like what Davis's point was in terms of individual housework versus socialized mm-hmm. housework. So you could have a service and just decide, you know, everyone has the right to have a clean house. Everybody has the right to transportation. And then like as a community actually have like a public sector doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, and as long as it's not like run for profit, as long as it's not run bossed by one person, if it's run by the people democratically, mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can call Maybe. it, you know, whatever, but it's, it seems like it's going to be more equitable while still accomplishing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a tangent there, maybe. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Back to prisons. She talks about basically women's position in prisons, which are just horrible. You know, she goes through these really awful descriptions of strip searches, which are, when you think about it, basically state-sanctioned sexual assault that women go through just like every fucking day. Yep. Yeah. She also brings up this memoir from someone named Tecla Miller, who is uh, who was a female warden, or she used to be a warden. She wrote this memoir, and in the name of of feminism and equality, demanded basically that women's prisons were not, like, harsh enough. (laughs) Like, she wanted, she complained that, like, their weapons closet was, like, super small compared to the men's prison. She wanted uh, the ability to, like, shoot at women escapees in the same way you can at men escapees. And, like, this... She was like, "We, if you want equal rights, like they gotta be treated equally." <laughs> oh man, this is so. This is like the people who uh, say women should be drafted to. Yes, men. exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's wild. It's horrifying. That reminds me of Louise Michelle from the uh, Paris Commune, who did a way cooler version of this. Is that Ooh. after the whole thing went down and they were sentencing people to death? They did not sentence her to death because she was a woman, but she was like, oh, what the fuck? You should sentence me yeah. to death. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm a badass, too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, basically just saying that, like, even though women are a smaller percentage of the prison population, like, what they experience in there, it's just, like, routine assault, not just into the form of strip searches, but actual assault, too. Mm-hmm. And, again, what we talked about earlier with the Joan Little case, pr- prison guards have ridiculous amount of access to these women and like yep. if they are raped they will not be believed yep that's true she also talks about the prison industrial complex so we've heard the military industrial complex yep if you like that you'll love the prison <laughs> you industrial might try. complex thanks spotify yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's cool though she i mean not cool like i like this idea but it's an interesting <laughs> idea <laughs> is she kind of does connect the two. She says that it's a symbiotic relationship. And you can see that by how they share technology, like we were talking about earlier. Like, we we have a fucking military police state, so... Yep. yep pretty fucked up. Yeah. She brings up the point that, I mean, kind of the culture of this industrial complex is that we are fed a narrative of, like, well, we have to have all these prisons because crime is increasing, Apparently, by the time prison construction was really booming in, like, the 80s and 90s, crime was already decreasing, like, a lot. Yeah. So it was a solution in search of a problem by that point? Yes. So she talks about pop culture, both in the terms of, like, TV shows, like, Oz and stuff like that. It's cute. She also, like, quotes her life partner in it. And I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but she talks about how crime coverage was, like, the number one topic on the news. Yeah. From 90, 1990 to 1998... Homicide rates dropped by half nationwide, but homicide stories on the three major news networks rose almost fourfold. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's insane. If you're just a normal person, you think, damn, sure are a lot of murders, but... Everyone's getting murdered. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it makes sense with, like, entertainment, too. Just, like, it always seems like that's central. I mean, it's juicy, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah. So let's get to, like, the last section of this. She talks about abolitionist alternatives. Okay, so when people say, but you're just going to let everybody out and everything's going to be destroyed (laughs) and chaos, anarchy, this is what we would say. Actually, 
no, this is what we're going to do. Yes. So I would characterize her kind of plan as a three-prong approach. Okay. We're usually doing just two, but three I can handle. All right. <laughs> There's two main prongs. One of them is, is more of the reformist of like, hey, we need to fight for improved conditions in the prisons now. Yeah. Like, let's do that okay. for sure. Because she makes a great comparison to people who are like the anti-death penalty people, mm-hmm. but who still default to, okay, we'll just do life imprisonment. Life and imprisonment, like, yeah. and it's our jobs to be like, okay, do we need to do that too? Just like kind of keep moving that needle. Yeah. And the introduction, it was interesting because she mentioned like, it's normal to be against the death penalty, mm-hmm. but people, it took people a little while to get there. Yeah. We could do the same. It could be normal to be against prisons, not just like, let's make the, like, you know, for a while they were saying, let's make the death penalty nicer. Like let's more mm-hmm. humanely execute people. <laughs> and then gradually people were like, let's not execute people. So yeah, we yeah. Could, we're kind of the same principle could apply. Yeah, and she makes the same comparison to, like, slavery and, you know, things that were super common just accepted as, like, no, this is just how the world works. Mm -hmm. Like, there's technically hope. Yes. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but it's there. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, prison reform, what we got now. But also, we need to build a society that doesn't need prisons, which, like, that's going to be a lot of things. And it basically comes down to socialism, socialism, baby. I love it. All right. Yeah abolish you know poverty so that way you don't have crimes of people stealing things because they have things yeah i'm giving this book five out of five stars i read the introduction and you say that it proposes socialism as the solution so yeah five out of five yeah you're in you're sold (laughs) (laughs) you should finish it it's very good i was like this is straight fire i mean she goes on a laundry list you know eliminate crimes of property by providing for all reforming schools and getting rid of that school to prison pipeline Mm -hmm. You know, making them actual places that encourage learning instead of just, like, raising little workers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, hell, standardized testing at high stakes is a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Armed guards in schools, too. Yes. Healthcare, including mental health. Like, you know, we already have this model in the form of rehab, but only rich people can afford to go to rehab. Like, that shit is expensive. Yeah. I've heard that it is. I've never looked into it, but... <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, no, I think she was quoting like some prices there and it was something like $506, $600 a day. Like, Fuck. And then there's also like an upfront fee. Like it's insane. And that was in like 2003. <laughs> yeah. There's no way anyone can afford that in the working class. Yeah. Legalize drugs and sex work. Fuck yeah. Defending immigrant rights. Fuck yeah. Minimize violence against women living wages, community-based recreation, just all that good, good shit. And honestly, that could all be done social democracy style. Like You don't even really have to toss capitalism out to do that. You really don't. Like, this is just like, you're just being a nicer country. Yeah. (laughs) She also, she doesn't get to this as deep as I would want her to. Like, I could use a whole other chapter on this third prong, but it's the idea of reparations-based justice. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of the points she brings up are things like, you know, if we think about who is classified as a quote unquote criminal, that is often determined by like what race or class you are. Like, we've all broken the law, basically. It's just like who gets caught and who gets pulled over and who gets away with it, who has enough money. Mm -hmm. All those things determine who actually ends up in prison. 
who gets charged with murder and who gets charged with like being too rich. That one guy. She references this guy, Herman Bianchi, and he basically suggests that crime is treated like tort law, where you're like held responsible for something. Like you're more like a debtor. Okay. Like when you when you do something to someone, like now you, you owe them something because like you did a bad thing. Yeah. Which like, I wish she'd gone more in depth on because I'm just like, that seems crazy, but okay. <laughs> and then she brings up like murders and rape, rapists. Like there's still a chance for redemption there too. Like mm-hmm. if you like actually talk to people and like ask the victims what they want and things like that. Like there's, she gives an example of like this family that like had their daughter murdered. But yeah, I, I kind of wish she had dived deeper into those last two points because I'm just like, I'm super curious as to how that would work. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's sort of the idea of reparations-based justice or kind of like restoring, restorative mm-hmm. justice. I think I've heard it as, I don't know if that's a different yeah. thing, but she doesn't go into it in too, de- too much detail, really. Not that I could tell. Maybe I was just losing steam at the end of the it's, reading. But It seems to me the idea basically that we're trying to rehabilitate people yeah yeah we're not trying to punish yeah which is interesting because if you think back to that initial reform of prisons it was to like oh let's rehabilitate these people by giving them isolation i mean turns out isolation is extremely 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 bad for you yeah (laughs) but over time we've lost even that idea of prison is for rehabilitation like no one thinks that like if they were like they wouldn't be cracking down on having education in prisons right or like gym equipment or like just basic needs Mm -hmm. people think that the main reason you're there is to pay for the crime that you've done Mm -hmm. to punish you and then like you know if you happen to read books while you're there or get training while you're there that's good for us it saves some money we don't have to pay for your broke ass when you're out but like it's not the reason you're there well, apparently the 1994 crime bill eliminated Pell Grants for prisoners, effectively shutting down lots of college programs. So they can't even do well, that. Well, because they were, you know, just too, lux- <laughs> too luxurious. It. Yeah. You were there to pay yeah. for your crime, not to get a get a degree. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's really interesting how, yeah, it, it did start out as this reform. And now it's like, no, irredeemable. And like, we need to go back to being like, no, like these people can be <laughs> like helped. Yeah, and that goes right back to what you were talking about earlier is seeing criminals as like criminals versus just people who happen to break the law in some certain circumstance, like a separate yeah. group of people that you'll, you won't be in. Yeah. Othering them. Honestly, I really do think that if these socialized programs were a thing, I mean, you would just naturally cut down way the fuck on, on prison sentences. Like, yeah, there's so many just ways to be criminalized for being poor yes. or black or any of these things. Like, yeah, I really think that would take care of most of it. Like maybe I'm a little naive bunny who just thinks that like people aren't evil. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have a few like serial killers maybe, but like, that's very rare. Like I know true crime is big right now, but like not normal people don't just go around doing lots of murders. Yeah. And I think this is something you mentioned our, our episode where we answered a listener question about this. And we, we talked about it that, Really, you're kind of addressing not 100% mental health, but like a big part of it would be like yeah. trying to figure out what are the root problems with people. And yeah, sure, it's going to rub you the wrong way initially and be like, are you telling me that we're going to be treating people who, you know, are convicted of 
you know, the worst crimes, you know, rape, uh, child porn or something like that. Like, what the fuck are we going to do with, you know, sick people like that? Well, that's the thing. They're sick. Yeah. That's what we're trying to address, really. I'm not going to say that work would be easy or fun to do. Like, God, no. Like, I wouldn't want that job. But, like, I, I think it's I think it's possible, you know? Like, I think that could be valuable in learning what causes those kinds of things to develop. And, like, hey, can we maybe make sure that less people turn out this way? Right, yeah. A society that is constantly producing people in... And even if they're in small relative numbers... Still, there you know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. people who commit very bad crimes. Yeah, you got to address whatever social cause there is. I think that's one of the big things about being a materialist is saying we're not just like coming up with our own way of doing things in life. Like we're shaped by we're shaped by the world around us. For sure. Yeah, that's all I got. Well, that was great. <laughs> I love that we got the basic bio and kind of dove into some things there, and also. Got to go in depth with these topics. Yeah, I really liked her writing style too. Like, very easy to mm-hmm. read. Like, I, I read a book in a day. You know, it was, it was like 115 pages. It wasn't jargony at all. Like, not at it, all. It was not steeped in. If you're thinking, oh, I can't read theory, you know, this you is not this. really theory. Honestly, it's 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 more like, mm, I guess it's theory. It's it's just not. It doesn't come across as that the way it, it doesn't. Reads. Like, she'll she'll reference, like, Lenin and Marx, like we said, but, like, it's very brief and it's very clear. I Let me put it this way. I am one of those people that, like, I have to read every word on a page or I don't feel like I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and I only reread, like, three sentences, I think, because I'm like, wait, what was that? Like, mm-hmm. it was very easy, you know? Yes. Yeah. Great writing. Again, proposed socialism is a solution, so five out of five stars. I'm into it. Let's do it. <laughs> Guys, can we just do this, please? Come on. <laughs> so we had the one strike for plugging Jonestown. Mm, yeah. I don't know if we came away with any other strikes. I don't think we did. So two thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. She gets an approval. <laughs> like she needs our approval. <laughs> oh, I actually do have a strike. I want to add. In the 21st century, Davis has supported the Democratic Party in presidential elections, <laughs> endorsing Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Ooh. Joe Biden. You know, whatever. But hey, I mean, I pulled the lever for the guy. Yeah, I fucking risked Panini Press to go vote for him, so. <laughs> yeah, strike one. That's like a half strike. I that's mean, everybody fine. does it, but it's not even a, I don't know. Is that a strike? Uh, I want to give her a strike just because she only has one, and I just want to like give. A, you're you know, being punitive and not restorative, dude. Oh, fuck, you're right. All right, I rescind the strike. <laughs> she seems cool. I mean, she's a straight up communist. Oh, yeah. Like, True. seems pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Who am I to judge? Okay. Well, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week we are going to revisit the Emerald Isle. Ooh. We're gonna go back to talking about the development of socialism in ireland specifically like republican socialism if you want to brush up on what that is on the history the development of republican socialism in ireland up until the easter rising of 1916 you can find that on episode 40 where we kind of talked about that time period and this will you know be a continuation of that effort 
Awesome. I really loved that one. I'm sad James Connolly died in the last one. Spoiler, I guess, if you haven't listened to that episode. (laughs) He's not still alive today, guys. Yeah, or if you don't know him from history, yeah. Uh, we'll, We'll talk about how Ireland got its independence and then the period of revolutionary violence. Uh, mm. that's kind of euphemistically referred to as the Troubles. Excited to learn more about that. In the meantime, besides listening to that episode, you can go back and listen to all of our episodes. I think they're pretty good. You can also find us online. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. Um, you can send us an email that is teachmecommunism at gmail.com. That's where you should go if you want to send us like an episode suggestion or a question for a future like Q&A episode, little mailbag episode. You can and should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way for people to find the show. Um, Really helps us out. You don't have to be an Apple user to leave a review. So like, just do it. It'd be great. Yes. We are on YouTube. If that's your thing, or if you know someone who only listens to podcasts on YouTube, send them um, our stuff. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For $5 a month, you get access to our notes for each episode. So this week, you'll be getting my notes. Um, I'll also upload the marked up PDF of the Why Prisons Are Obsolete reading. Um, you'll also get access to the backlog as well. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty useful resource. I there's, Yeah, I like there's it. good stuff in there. Yeah. And at the end of the year, the proceeds from that will go to a local mutual aid fund. So it's not for us. We're clearly bougie enough <laughs> with our, yeah, we don't. With our uh, Mediterranean bowls or whatever for the farmers. <laughs> <laughs> They've come full circle. <laughs> okay. All right. A plus on your report. Nice. Yeah. Great job. Go out there. Read more about Angela Davis. Find more ways to work for... The abolition of prisons. Hell yeah. Thanks for tuning in, listeners. You guys can catch us next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, guys. Goodbye.